0: Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios, and of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Sonal Agrawal. Sonal is an associate in Foley's Madison office where she's focused on patent prosecution. We begin our discussion with Sonal talking about growing up in Jhansi, India, and tracing her path to moving to the U.S. to attend graduate school and receive a degree from the University of Wisconsin in electrical engineering. Sonal also shares how it is that she ended up on what is really an alternative path for somebody who's an electrical engineer. She talks about how it was she was exposed to patent law and how she went about eventually becoming a patent agent and later a patent lawyer. Sonal also reflects on attending law school with two small children while working full-time as a patent agent, And commuting between Chicago, where her job was, and Madison, where she was attending school. You'll also hear in this conversation, and I'm candid about it, I am intimidated by lawyers who have technical degrees. I do take a moment to reflect on my very limited experience working on a patent related matter as an associate. And I feel the need to make this clarification because lawyers, we are about precision, and you will catch me on this. I mistakenly characterized that case as a trademark case when, in fact, it was trade secret misappropriation. So I wanted to clarify that for you all. But as you listen to this, I hope you really enjoy Sonal breaking down a lot of aspects about patent law for me, a bit of a novice, but also the insight and advice she gives on ramping up so that you can even gain the expertise to learn, to read, to review patents and to prepare patent applications. And also for law students, as usual for the path and the practice. This is also jam-packed with some great insight in navigating the law school process. I hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Hi, Sona. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alexis. Thanks for having me. All right. I have to ask
0: you to do the same thing I ask everyone to do. Can you give me your professional introduction?
1: Yes, definitely. So my name is Sona Lagarwal. I am an associate in the Madison office of Foley and Lardner. I focus my practice on patent prosecution, specifically in the electronics, uh, computer software, um, electromechanical, computer hardware areas. Education-wise, I have a bachelor's in computer science from a university in India, a master's in electrical engineering from the University of Wisconsin at Madison, and JD from the University of uh, Wisconsin Law School.
0: Well, I'm really excited to ask you about all of those things and how it is you ended up with those degrees and those areas, which I will admit to someone like myself with completely non-technical background, you know, also a fellow JD, but someone who went to law school or who went to undergrad and got like basically a pre-law degree, Uh (laughs) a philosophy and poli-sci degree. I'm excited to get into the more technical aspects of your expertise as well. But before we can, let's start at the very beginning. Sure. Where did you grow up? Where are you from?
1: So I grew up in India. Uh, That's where I was uh, born and raised. Uh, I went to I did my undergrad there in computer science, uh, like I said, and then I moved here for grad school.
0: Okay, so tell me more about India. And this is also where I'm going to profess all sorts of ignorance about the country. But I think that's important, because I'm going to ask you to sure. make me sound, you know, like, I, or actually tell me a lot more so that I can learn. But so where in India did you grow up? Where was your, you know, hometown there?
1: So I grew up in a really small town. Uh, you've probably not heard of it. It's it's a historical town. It's in the the northern part of India, closer to to New Delhi. I, it seems like you know New New Delhi is a is a popular place. Like people yeah, have heard of it. I've um, heard of New Delhi. So I, I grew up in a small town. Um, love What's it It's it's called Jansi. J H A N S I.
0: And so how small is small when you say small? Give me a sense for it.
1: Oh, it's really small. Way smaller than Madison. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Almost like, I don't know, kind of like Janesville. I'm from Wisconsin. I know what Janesville is. Okay, awesome.
0: (laughs) Maybe our listeners don't, but I know. But then how, and then so how far away was it from New Delhi?
1: Oh, it was quite a bit uh, far away. I would say maybe like, I don't know, Janesville and Minneapolis.
0: Oh, so that is a ways. And I mean, obviously, India is a very large country. And that's one of the reasons why why I ask because, you know, for those who grew up in the States, they're sharing exactly where they grew up in the United States. So I want to know exactly where you grew up in in India. And then what was it? What was it like growing up there? I don't like can you give us a sense for for life for you before you, you know, before you went to essentially college and came to the States? I am just kind of I'm kind of curious of what that was like.
1: Well, it was very different, to say the least, compared to you know. Now I have uh, two daughters who were were born here, and you know I'm, I'm raising them here, and their childhood is very different from what my childhood was back there. So I, my town was a small town, it was a rural town, and then uh, we lived in a small gated community, kind of out on the outskirts of the city. So we were not even in 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 the city, and I, I used to take a, a bus to school, like you know most students do. My parents were extremely productive of uh, what I did. I really had, they would take me to all my extracurricular activities. They would wait outside, you know, while I did what I had to do. And then they kind of uh, brought me back. Um, Evenings I spent, you know, we'd go from house to house, uh, just gathering everybody and playing outside, you know different games the games we we used to play are different from the games that you know kids play here yeah
0: well my kids just play on electronics all the time how old are your daughters by the way
1: they're eight and 11
0: okay mine are seven my boys are seven and nine so they're always fighting over the like nintendo switch so
1: (laughs) yeah we never needed to schedule play dates like I, i find here you know i if I want to get kids together here, I have to, you know, write to their moms or, or whatever, or schedule a play date. We we never schedule play dates. We just, you know, kind of knock on the doors and say, hey, we'll, you know, do, do you we'll want to play? Play. I yeah.
0: do have some of that in my neighborhood, though. So I live in a neighborhood called I live in Oak Park, which is just ten miles west of downtown Chicago, and we somehow managed to have that while having a bit of a city vibe. But I I do know what you're saying. Generally speaking, it's hold on, let me email the mom right. or call the mom <laughs> <laughs> and see if so and so can come
1: over. I also didn't ask, did you have
0: siblings or do you have
1: siblings? I have siblings. I have a younger sister. She is here. Well, here as in in, in the United States. Uh, she's in D.C. She came here before I, I moved here. She moved here to do her undergrad.
0: Okay. Okay. So I have a sense of where you grew up and you mentioned you went to college in India. So I'm curious, let's, I guess we're kind of fast forwarding to Sonal at, you know, high school age did you know what you wanted to go to school for and did you know that law was in the card
1: well law was definitely not on my (laughs) card.
0: definitely
1: no yep definitely no so the the way you know the way to pursue law school in India is that's something you decide right, uh, right after high school. So you do a bachelor's in law and then a master's in law. So that was definitely not on my.
0: So that's more like, a, that's like the I mean, like the British system. That's how it is. It's one of the ways to become a lawyer in the UK. Is, yeah. So say, yeah, which makes sense.
1: Yeah. So, and my my dad's an electrical engineer and he thought that engineering was would, would be a good area for me to, you know, pursue my education and and computer science was really up and coming then. I, I didn't quite have a very good sense of what I wanted to do really i I thought I'd you know become a historian because just because I I, I had a really good memory. I could memorize things. And I thought that history was all about, you know, memorizing things. So right.
0: particularly when you're a <laughs> teenager, you're like, I would clearly be good at history. I could memorize.
1: Things. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, th- that's what I was thinking. And then my, my dad sat me down and he's like, okay, you, if that's what you really want to do, you can do it. Uh, but would you like to give. You know, computer science—a try, and I mean that was the the new and big and upcoming thing then. And I said, sure. Well, I mean, you know, I could always drop out and do something else if I didn't like computer science.
0: Around what age were you having this this talk? Was this right as you were considering applying to college, or kind of when when did this happen?
1: I would say around high school. That's well, actually, maybe that started before high school because there, in high school, you have to decide between, well at least in my school you had to decide between going the science route or going the humanities route and my parents convinced me to go the science route and they said well you know you try this out if you don't like it then you know that kind of helps you figure out what you want to do after high school so i took science as as an elective subject and i really enjoyed it so so then we decided all of us as a family that you know uh, we We'd we'd continue to try science or computer science. Yeah, and I have to say I I really enjoyed it. Um, And there's a little bit of a difference uh, in undergrad education there versus here. So here, you know, most undergrad programs are like four years. There, you could have a three-year program or a four-year program. Mm. And since I wanted to come here for grad school, I mean, that was like always part of the plan. And I knew I needed a four-year program to. For grad school, so uh, okay. I mean, I it was kind of you know my decision was made at that point that it would have to be a four year program, and a four year program is, is an engineering degree.
0: But I need you to catch me up. You said coming to the U.S. for grad school was always the plan. It was always the plan. Yeah. Tell me about why was that the plan? How did that become the plan?
1: Well, I guess I always wanted to come here. Uh, I had relatives here who would you know come back to visit us uh, once a year, or twice a or, or once every two years or. or whatever. And they had such wonderful things to say. And it just sounded like fairyland to me. I mean, you know, I, I was a, I, I was a kid, like, you know, five years old, six years old or whatever. And they would bring all these gifts for us. And I was just fascinated. I'm like, that's where I want to go. So, and and then I had friends who had come here for grad school and stuff. So I, I, I thought, you know, maybe that'd be a good way for me to go there. So.
0: Okay. We're going to talk more about that, but I just want to make sure I'm following. So like you said, at least as a teenager, you were like, maybe I should do history. But your dad sits you down and is like, why don't you try more of a science path in essentially high school? But for college, why don't you focus on whatever you would need to do to become an electrical engineer? And I know you added in the part about it definitely being a four-year program. Yes. So that you could you know, more easily transition to a, a grad school in the U.S., And so was, I don't want to say was that's it, as in that's not enough, because that's plenty of information. But I am interested, when you start college, it was, I'm here to get a degree in electrical engineering. And did you know that going in?
1: No. So my program was actually computer science and computer engineering. Ah. Uh, So it it was a combination of computer science, mostly computer science with a little bit of uh, computer hardware mixed in. So it was interesting, but I think by the end of it, I... I kind of I, I couldn't see myself, you know in that area long term. and i I really did enjoy the computer hardware aspects of of my program. So that's why I switched fields from computer science to computer engineering or electrical engineering. So my program here wow. was computer and electrical engineering. So that's when I decided to switch programs. I did have to take some extra classes to kind of catch myself up on or th- there were some prereqs that I had to satisfy before you know starting grad school here.
0: And a few more nuts and bolts questions. Remind me again, where where were you in college, Nindy? What was the name?
1: I'm going to spell it out first. Uh, G-W-A-L-I-O-R, Gwalior. Gwalior? Yeah, it was like, I don't know, not too far away, maybe about 50 miles away from my hometown. So I, oh. I would, so it wasn't that far away, and I, I would come okay. back home pretty frequently, you know.
0: So you're at Gwalior, as you said, you realized you didn't really love the area you've been focusing on. And so you made you switched I switched. Areas of focus. And here's where I profess more of my ignorance. But I think it's important that I do that. What did you think you would be doing with the degree? And I realize you decided that you wanted to change it a little bit, but initially between focusing on that in college and then knowing you were going to get a master's or you know, hoping to get a master's, what was the hope in terms of the type of work you'd be doing once you finish school?
1: See, I, I didn't have a good sense. I just knew that if I continued in computer science, I'd be programming. I couldn't see myself programming for the rest of my career. I mean, it, it was interesting. I, I I was good at it, but it just wasn't, you know, fascinating enough for me. So, and I, I thought like, you know, computer hardware, computer engineering, the the inner workings of, of a computer, that, that was more interesting. So, so that's what really made me change my mind and kind of, you know, do a 180 on computer science.
0: It's so funny. So, so for someone like me, who, like I said, came from more that humanities bend, I'm like, is it a 180 though? <laughs> Cause quitting to be like a poet seems like a 180. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just kidding, but I do, I really, I have to sometimes just pro- profess when I don't, know something and so um, I really appreciate you for taking the time to explain some of those yep. things. No. and how your path changed. Well then tell me about grad school. So you I must are you still in college when you start applying or what was that process like for you?
1: I was not in college. Well maybe I was or maybe not. I think I had graduated. I, I had graduated and I had started applying. I I sat for the GRE. That's like you know the Mm-hmm. Exam that everyone has to take. So, right for
0: all the listeners, for someone who doesn't go to law school
1: <laughs> and decides
0: to go to basically any other kind of graduate school, they take the GRE instead of the LSAT.
1: But. They, yeah, they take the GRE. And because I uh, was outside the US, I was considered an in- international student. I also had to take some um, English exams um, to just profess that, you know, I was fluent in English or I had some proficiency in English. I was also dating my well, no husband at the time, so I only applied to Madison because he he was here, um, I was there.
0: Well, that streamlined the application process for you, didn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it no, it, it certainly did. And actually, grad school is what you know, kind of a. Uh, Brought me and my husband together because he was already in grad school here. He was graduating. Our, our parents sort of played matchmaker hmm. and said, why don't you contact him? You know, he's gone through this process. He knows exactly what to do and how to apply and what not to do. So they were pretty insistent. So I did. And they maybe him.
0: had some ulterior motives in asking they, you to contact yeah. them. <laughs>
1: well, they did, but they, I mean, they did not tell me that, though. So I thought their intentions were all noble, which which they weren't. Which, but they were in a way, look, it all worked out. Okay. But you apply
0: at Madison and I keep asking you to repeat the areas of focus, but just to make sure I'm following the thread and this is to get your master's in
1: what? In electrical engineering. It's actually electrical and computer engineering that the program is, but the the degree is just electrical engineering. So yeah, I I took classes in both electrical engineering and computer engineering.
0: And so I have this working theory that lawyers that are not IP lawyers and who do not have a technical background of any kind, and maybe this is just me, we're a little intimidated. That's all I'm going to say. We're just, we're a little intimidated (laughs) by the, you know, because a lot of us are that other side of the brain, the purely more humanities, the, the English, the history side of the brain. And so when we hear words like computer and electrical engineering also were people who tended to shirk math. Not universally, I'm stereotyping, but I would be interested to know exactly like what is the the focus? I mean, that's really broad, but if you could tell me more about what that means, I think we understand the word computers. I think we understand. Right. What, but, but could you talk more about really what those topics are and what that expertise is?
1: right so it's it's all really so computer engineering is a little, little bit different from electrical engineering but you know the it's it's the same it's the same degree so you take classes in both you take classes in electronic devices signals uh, digital signal processing you would take classes in semiconductor fabrication you know techniques for manufacturing integrated circuits and stuff uh, or power systems you know how you get your electricity how that's distributed so what a fun stuff. Um, yeah, so it runs the gamut. And I'm
0: nodding my head so that as if I know exactly what semiconductor, I don't even know the rest of the word you said, semiconductor, what was it?
1: Fabrication. Fabrication, as if I completely understand well, exactly that's what that is. just yeah. making your, you know, the, the computer chips... Um, if you will yeah. use those wafers and stuff, it's it's a uh, fascinating stuff. But I knew by towards the end of that program that I didn't want to do that either. Oh my gosh, I'm sensing a theme here, Sonal. Yeah, there is a theme. There there is a theme. Uh, well, I, I think I finally with the, with law, I, I think I've really uh, found my calling. So
0: yeah,
1: uh, yeah. I I don't think I'm gonna switch again. So.
0: So when did the, the idea of becoming a lawyer come onto the scene?
1: So I. I must have been maybe in my second year of grad school, and I was looking for options of other things to do. And two things happened um, around the same time, which kind of pushed me towards law a little bit. Uh, One was the career fair, and a law firm was there hiring patent engineers. So I talked to them like, why do you need engineers? Like, what are they going to do?
0: What is is this for? Right.
1: So they explained to me, you know... uh, how patent law works and that you don't need a, a law degree to, to practice patent law. And then, so that kind of, you know, piqued my interest. And then my engineering department at, at the time, and it was the, the first time they, they've, uh, they, they did it. It was uh, an alternate careers for engineers seminar. And they talked about law school. They brought uh, students from law school with technical backgrounds, and they asked uh, and and they talked about you know their experiences um, at law school. And while they had summered at uh, various firms, uh, there was a patent agent, and they talked about you know their day-to-day work. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So I went to law school to, to take an appointment with uh, the, uh, with an IP professor there, a patent law professor there who was going to teach the next semester. And I said, okay, so I've um, just been introduced to patent law, and I want to talk more about it. How do I learn more about this area? And he said, well, he was an adjunct. He said, well, why don't you take my class? Like, And I had no concept of law school or you know L1 classes or L2 or, or whatever. He, and it turned out it, it was an advanced patent law class.
0: Wait, I'm sorry. I just need to back up for one second just to make sure. So one, that's brilliant you get exposed to this potential alternative career and you actually find someone who teaches at the law school or who is about to teach to ask about. So I just want to, I know that may sound obvious to some, but I think to many people, they were like, wow, that's really smart. But then, so you were still in undergrad and he recommended that you- I was still in grad school. Sorry, you were still in, I'm, I apologize. You were still in grad school, but he recommended, hey, Why don't you take this and find out?
1: Yeah, so I I just took uh, one class in patent law with him. He he was a partner at um, another firm in town here. And I I did really well, surprisingly. I mean, considering that it was an advanced uh, class, which I did not know at the the time. And the day our grades got out, he gave me a call. He said, Sunil, do you want to give it a shot, see how it is in the real world? And he offered me an internship at his firm, which I mean, I was, you know, Thrilled at the idea, which I, I immediately I jumped on it. I, I spoke with my advisor and she said, um, yeah, if that's something you're interested in, you know, I, I convinced her to count that. Uh, I, I had already completed my master's project, but I still had some time left. So she said, We'll, you know, figure out a way to count that towards you know. Uh, master's project. So that that was incredibly nice of her. So I, I did intern with them for a semester. It was incredibly hard.
0: Mm, it was wild. a really
1: steep learning curve.
0: Yeah, what was going on there with that?
1: Well, I knew nothing about, so law school doesn't really teach you anything about patent law, you know, how, how to write a patent application, how to... Well, and at this point, you hadn't even gone to law school, right? And I hadn't even gone to law school. I mean, it was just that one patent law class, which, I mean, took me forever. I had never read a case before. It took me, my, my first case I read, it took me several hours to actually understand the words, and I mean, I was completely lost. But my first day on the job, they gave me a one-page flowchart and said, hey, why don't you draft a 20-page... Had an application out of this flowchart. I had no idea what to do. They they did give me two samples, but I mean I had no idea what to do. That's actually just
0: kind of terrifying. Like that's terrifying People literally have nightmares about those sorts of things where someone's like, hey, can you do this thing that you have no idea how to do? Thanks.
1: Oh yeah, yep. That's exactly what this was. And I'm in mean, I don't remember, but I I bet it was a terribly drafted application. And I I was really lucky. My mentor there was a fantastic guy. He's he's really taught me most of my patent drafting skills. Uh, He he was a stickler for things. And uh, he's, I mean, I, you know, he's the reason why I am good at drafting, if if I say so that myself. But yeah, now things got easier as I learned more about, you know, different technologies and how to write an application, how to write an office action response.
0: And this is all during that internship.
1: It is all all during that. Yep. And then after I graduated, they offered me a full-time job and I was really liking what I was doing. So I kind of stuck around. And that would be as a patent agent. That would be as a patent agent. I I sat for the patent bar, uh, passed the patent bar to become a patent agent. And then I was a patent agent for several years. I transitioned to from that firm to another firm in, in downtown Chicago, it was a small boutique firm.
0: Can we pause on that for a little bit? So Foley, of course, has a really large IP department. And I think within the firm, a lot of people already appreciate that we have patent agents, we have all the IP lawyers, but you know, we like I've, I say on most of these podcasts, we're starting to get law students listening and even those who haven't gone to law school yet. And you did say how essentially you can be a patent agent, which in many ways is practicing patent law without, but you don't need to be a JD. But could you just go into a little bit more about the distinction between a patent agent and a patent lawyer?
1: Sure. So to be able to practice patent law, all you need is a science background, a hard science background, and you need to pass the patent bar to be able to practice before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So I had a science background. I, I passed the bar to become a patent agent. What a patent agent does is very similar to what a patent attorney does for the most part. The, the only difference is they can't do things that are considered the practice of law. So they can't vendor legal advice, for example. they Whatever you would consider the practice of law for which you would need a JD, they can do. But you know, for the most part, they can do everything that a patent lawyer can do. They can write applications. They can respond to office actions. They can practice before the patent office. So, so that really is the main distinction in terms of the work they do. They're obviously... And then
0: generally speaking with patent work, it is usually, I'm assuming it's a company says... Hey, we have this, I don't know, I don't know if idea is the right way or this process or whatever, and we want to get a patent on it. And can you help us through that process? Is that
1: that's essentially- that's usually that's usually how it goes. It it could be a, a small company or a large company or in individual inventor and they say, oh, I have this, you know, this great idea. I, I don't think anyone has done this before. And I want your help in protecting this idea so that, you know, nobody steals my idea. And, and that's where patent journeys or patent prosecutors come in. We draft a patent application for them, file it with the patent office, work with the patent office to, to get them a patent.
0: Well, and I'm sort of laughing to myself because, um, through this podcast, I think listeners are really just going to learn a lot about Alexis Robertson <laughs> and the things I'm comfortable with or the experiences I had as a, a young lawyer. But as a junior associate, actually, my first case out of law school was on trademark misappropriation case. So it was a combination of litigators that did not have any IP background as well as patent litigators. But there was a reason for me to look at a patent. and they're actually quite intimidating for somebody with no background.
1: They're actually quite intimidating even for a new associate with a science background. I mean, I, I know it was for me, I had never seen a pattern before, like, you know, and all of a sudden I have this document and they're saying, Oh, you know, you need to read it, understand it and come up with how our invention is different from what's in this pattern. So
0: the only thing I knew was a lot of patent attorneys that I'd encountered up till then had um, markers or color pencils in their office. And I was like, well, let me get my markers and my color pencils. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. And we can get back to how clueless I was. But what I want to do is talk more about why then did you decide to go to law school? But I want to bookmark the coming back to the that steep learning curve and how intimidating it can be to be sort of handed a pat- patent. But let's talk about it again, after we get you through law school. So you're a patent agent for a number of years, but at some point you decide i going, going back to law
1: school. Yep. That was the plan. I mean, I had been a patent agent for a couple of years. I, I was still enjoying patent work and I knew I want, that's what I wanted to do, you know, for the rest of my career. So law school going to law school was the next natural step. Because as an agent, I mean, I was doing the same things over and over again. I and, mean, you know, it's like I wasn't, there's no ladder to climb, if you will. You know, once an agent, always an agent. I could go from a junior agent to a senior agent to whatever. But, you know, there's like there is for associates or to, you know. So I, I knew I wanted to go to law school. And so I applied to law school. At the time, we were also kind of debating. We we had our first daughter and we were also thinking about, you know, starting our you know, our, our second one. So I uh, postponed a little bit, uh, so we could, you know, complete our family before I started. So you have two kids while you're in law school though. So also. yeah, my little one was six months old when I started law school and I was commuting to Chicago then, cause I was still working in Chicago, but living in Madison. So, I mean, it was a difficult time, but. Okay.
0: So, and you went to Madison for university of Wisconsin, Madison for law school, for law school. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, you just said you started law school with if your little one was six months old, then how old was the older one at that time? Three. Okay. So you started law school with your three year old, your six month old, and while still commuting to your job in Chicago. Uh, yeah. Just so I set the scene. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Set the scene. And so what was that like that? I mean, at this point, you've you've done plenty of school. You'd had some time off from it, but now you're back. You know what you want to do right. when you're out. What was what was law school like for you?
1: Well, my first first year was incredibly hard, mostly because I didn't know how to think like a lawyer. Um, when you're an engineer, they train you to think a little bit differently. There, there is always, you know, you you solve a problem and you solve that problem to come to a correct answer. So there's always a correct answer at the end of a problem. And in law school, I was always looking for in my first semester for the for that, that answer. correct answer. And That's didn't you know you're not supposed to find the answer. You're supposed to find right. to these. So I I had a lot of trouble with that, just, you know, retraining my mind to say, okay, well, there can be more than one correct answers here. And most of my law school classes were, you know, the the final grade was based on one final exam, which was not the case during uh, my grad school. So that was very intimidating as well. It's like a typing contest, really, you know, whoever can type the most, whoever can type you know,
0: I literally made that same joke while I was in law school, where I was like, "If you could just write more, yeah, I, I just assumed you would do better." the The more you could kind of spew out onto a page during the exam, seemed beneficial. That's always how it struck me.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think after my first semester, I kind of figured out the trick to take law school exams, and that helped me significantly. And also, I had gotten used to you know the the, the mindset of uh, going to law school and just the the logistics of it.
0: You know, I know this was, you know, a while ago for you, but you're going to have to say a few words on the trick to taking law school exams because we have law <laughs> students listening
1: and they're like, what is it? What is it? Total? Well, you know, they're, they're really, it, well, it's, it's nothing magical really. It, you know, it, for me, it was just talking to my professors and asking them what they were expecting from, you know, my exam answer. It, it really was as simple as that. Uh, my first semester, I, I did not do that because I, I didn't know that I should have done that, so I would I, either, you know, pick a side and argue that side, and then later on, I would find out that oh, you know, the professor wanted me to argue both sides, so I, I, I lost lost yeah. points. So that's what I made made a point to do is, you know, talk to the professors, ask them what kind of an answer were they looking for. Uh, did they want me to recite facts in my answer or did they not want me to recite facts? Did they want a word limit? Did they not want a word limit? You know, the, the, did they want me to follow that IRAC or crack rule, whatever, you know, they teach in law school <laughs> or, or not follow that rule. So, and that kind of also helped me make my outlines according to what, they want and their answers. And well, that, that helps quite a bit.
0: I think that advice, and I've given that advice subsequently. It's not something I actually had the presence of mind to do very often in law school. But I think for the law students listening, that's really helpful because your professors can be very intimidating sometimes. And you do forget that they usually have office hours. And many of them actually like, like students. And if you were to ask them, they may help you. And by the way, if they don't, you've lost nothing. <laughs>
1: so, Exactly, and actually, you know, well, my my first semester, I I guess I wasn't paying close attention um, in class. But professors will actually say in class, on your exam, do not do this, or on your exam, be sure to mention this. This will definitely be on your exam. This will not be on your exam. So I always, you know, made a point once I kind of figured that out to to make a note. But professor, so and so, don't do this.
0: And that's why I would always attend class because I think all of us have encountered people who are more like. I'm in the class, I'm reading the stuff, I'm gonna take the exam. I always felt like that made your life harder because you didn't have those little words of wisdom or know like, okay, I don't need to study X because the professor swears that's not on the exam or whatever it is, so that's also a really important point. Okay, but so you're in law school, you figure this out, you're still navigating it though with two small children and so were you working the entire time?
1: I was working the entire time. Well, I switched to Foley, I think in my, so well, Law school is typically full-time, a three-year program. I did it in four years. I broke up my first year in two years. In University of Wisconsin, uh, law school is uh, unique in that aspect. They don't have a part-time program. So you still take classes with the full-time students, but you can take fewer classes. So that's what I did to kind of balance it out. I I broke my first year in in two years. Uh, I I was told that your 1L year is the most important. If you screw up your GPA in in your 1L year, then you're never going to recover. So I, I just decided to, to break it up. And I think in my maybe third year of law school then, out of the four years, is when I transitioned to Foley. And before that, I was commuting, maybe not commuting every day. I, I convinced them, instead of commuting every day, to maybe commute once a week or so. So yeah. I, I would go in the morning. I would take the bus, actually, so I could study on the bus and you know take advantage of that time. The and bus then- from Madison to Chicago. Chicago? Wan Gelder, yep. I, I used to oh my it takes forever. It's, it's like it takes four hours, but that's four hours of you know time that I could I'm use. sorry. I'm sorry, it takes four hours. It takes four hours from Madison to uh the union station. It one takes way, not one way. One way. One way. So you that's like and that twice. I would do that, yeah. It's like eight hours. So once a week, eight hours of my day were spent in the bus I would take a really early morning bus like before sunrise so I'd be there early morning and then I would take I don't know a a late night after five bus to to be back so so those were really long days. Thank
0: goodness you got it down to once a week but I'm still I'm trying to you know my mouth just dropped open as you described that because like you said you're it's great. You could study on the bus. Thank goodness you didn't get like, I, I get kind of car sick on <laughs> reading on buses. So thankfully you didn't have that. But, um, with this, with the kids, with small kids at home while also working. Yeah. That is not nothing. That is plenty that you accomplished there. So I just want to acknowledge that. But at some point you graduate from law school, you've already actually been a patent agent for fully, but you're now able to transition to an associate.
1: Yes. So I, at some point, maybe we were considering moving to Chicago. and, And that's why, you know, I had a, I took a job in Chicago. And then, you know, we decided it wasn't the best fit for our family and that we wanted to stay in Madison. So I already had a job in Chicago, so I mean, it wasn't super urgent for me to find a new job, but it was just extremely inconvenient. So I started talking to uh, law school professors and other people at law school asking for, you know, um, their recommendations and law firms where I should apply, what to do, what not to do, if there were law firms that I should definitely avoid, you know, and then a fully came up a lot. Mm. So, and... Well, I think Foley was the only firm that they said would also allow you to work in between summers as a law clerk. And I definitely wanted to keep working. Oh,
0: and I think I actually messed up my understanding of that. So you were an agent at a different firm that was in Chicago. I was at
1: an a- Yes, I was at uh, a different firm in Chicago. No,
0: and then you were a summer
1: associate
0: at Foley during law school, but then you were able to stay on as a clerk in between... Yes. And I see it somewhere associated. So, oh, that makes a lot. That's fantastic, though, that it could work out. It,
1: yes. that it worked out that way. Yep. It it was, uh, I mean, it, it was a lifesaver, really. I mean, that commuting to Chicago was uh, it's just... I had to stop you. When you said four hours, I was like, just one direction. <laughs> just one direction. Yeah. But it, would, it was good, uninterrupted, you know, time that okay. I could read for, for you know my classes and stuff so it, it was you made, you made use that
0: well and so now you've been at Foley as an associate for about four years
1: yep four years and then two years as, uh, summer associate and then yeah. a law So,
0: so uh, lately, un- unfortunately, I hope people aren't frustrated with me, but I get so caught up in people's path that I sometimes forget to ask them about their practice. <laughs> so I would love if you could tell us a bit about what, what your practice is like as an, as an IP associate in Madison.
1: Sure. Yep. So I, you know, uh, one of the great benefits of Foley is I can be in Madison and yet work with clients and colleagues, Across the country, so I, I work with partners in several different offices of Foley. Um, I have clients that are spread out throughout the country, and and most my most of my days are spent, you know, um, writing a patent application, patent counseling, talking to clients about their inventions,
0: and it's all usually within the same, of course, the same the same sector where you're able to apply your yeah background and. It's electronics is a safe way to say it, or I have to say electrical engineering. I don't know the right way to characterize it.
1: Electronics. So, yeah, I, I think that's how the firm characterizes it. It's it's an electronics. So, I'm, I'm part of the electronics practice group, and that kind of yeah. encompasses software, hardware, electromechanical, encompasses uh, areas that are not biology or chemistry or not hardcore mechanical.
0: Well, I put a bookmark in something and I do want to get back to it, even though we're getting closer to our time. Sure. So, you talked a bit about just the really steep learning curve. Yeah of navigating a patent. And I know for you at this point, by the time you became an associate, you had a lot of time looking at patents because you've been an agent for a number of years. But do you have any recommendations for somebody who either is aspiring to do IP or maybe, you know, they're a new associate? And even if it isn't how to literally read the patent, because of course, we can't go into all that here. But should they ask others, like seek mentors? Like, what what do you do to close that gap?
1: Well, I, you know, there's no, really no shortcut to that. You know, you, you really have to write applications or that that's really the way to learn and improve. So there's nothing that anyone else can do to help you improve. It's, it's all about, you know, um, getting in the weeds and getting to the time. It's just the time. Yep. It's, it's all on the job training but uh, one piece of advice that i got when i started at foley from my madison colleagues was to diversify my docket and that that was an advice that has served me really well and that is you know that that's something that new associates are not really thinking about yeah what does that
0: mean what do you mean by that when you say diversify your docket
1: yeah diversify your docket i mean it, it, to me it means two things is uh, to diversify the partners that you work with and as as a direct correlation to that is uh, diversify the the client base that you work with. Because we all have a billable hour requirement that's not going away. But if, if, you know, if, if you lose a client or, you know, the partner leaves, your billable hour requirement is still there. But if you have a diversified docket, your plate will still be full. Yes.
0: Well, and that comes up just across the board as a lawyer at a large law firm. And for some people it works out really well, but that's true. Sometimes Clients shift, partners retire, things happen, that's really good advice. And as we're winding down here, so I like to end these by, I already got, you've already given some great advice by the way about navigating law school. What you just said about diversifying your your practice I think applies often no matter what practice you're in. But I'm wondering if you have any other sort of final advice or observations on your career path, particularly speaking to law students who may be listening in terms of if they want to you know have an ip career are there things you would recommend or maybe it's not even that maybe there's something else that you know you'd like to reflect on in our final minutes together
1: i don't think i have any specific advice really one thing that i get asked a lot by law students is how do i know what area to choose many students are coming into law school just wanting to go to law school, but not knowing exactly what they, you know, want to eventually end up in. And I will get questions asking, so how do I know what I want to do? And you, you really don't. And that's okay. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of law school, right? You have the option of taking all these different classes, uh, participating in all the different clinics and summering at different firms. And that kind of helps you figure out what you know you're interested in what you're not interested in so I, I'd say just go with the flow and don't stress that, you know. That and try some things. I also hear you saying, yeah. try, try some things. And so for you,
0: you've given such really good, pragmatic advice that I think to you seems extremely obvious because they are the things you did in life, such as seeking out a professor when you were in um, graduate school to learn about IP, such as going to your professors to talk about exams. But I really do think we sometimes... Forget those steps. Like we just forget that that's available to us. So I hope, if anything, for the law students listening, that this is a reminder oh, yeah. that there's some, just just ask some people. Just some
1: ask, too. right? And people are more than willing to help. You know, I mean, a really simple thing is just to you know, if you're interested in something, just uh, send an email to to an, an actual practicing lawyer and say, hey, can we have a cup of coffee? I'm interested in knowing more about your practice, and I've done that before. I, I know of uh, other friends who have done that before. I get emails like that. I've never refused. No, nobody ever refused. You know, when when I was asking them, it's just a great way not only to build relationships but also to get to learn about the, a yes. practice.
0: It's so important. It's so powerful. And of course, we're now in this COVID era, so maybe that coffee becomes a phone call. Or, yeah, or no yeah, coffee or something. Yeah. Same rules apply. And with that, Sonal, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show. And I know you just mentioned this, but I just want to make sure that if listeners are interested in reaching out to you, can they feel free to track you down on Foley's website?
1: Oh, yeah. Do definitely. Me. Yep, definitely. Yep. I'm always willing to chat. And thank you for having me, Alexis. The pleasure was all mine.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Soto. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Sonal. I am delighted to add this update to her podcast episode, which is that as of February 2022, Sonal was promoted to senior counsel at Foley and Lardner. Congratulations, Sonal. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.